The National Summit on School Safety is back and virtual this year, bringing you the nation's top experts, leaders, and practitioners from across the field of school safety. There'll be inspiring keynotes, live panel discussions, breakout sessions, and more. Best of all, the summit will be available on demand. Register now to join us this October 26th through 28th at safeandsoundschools.org. Welcome to the Sound Off by Safe and Sound Schools with me, your host, Michelle Gay, presented by Intrato School Messenger, the premier school safety communications provider in the U.S. and Canada. After losing my daughter in the Sandy Hook School tragedy, I made it my mission to help protect every school and every student every day. Each week, here on the Sound Off, we'll explore the biggest issues affecting school communities from health, security, crisis prevention, and so much more. You'll hear from today's leading school safety experts to share their experiences, knowledge, and inspiration. We have a tendency to kind of throw the term around and then as parents, it's like, what are you teaching my kids? You know, is this another curriculum where you're gonna try to indoctrinate my child with certain types of thinking? No, these are the life skills that are needed, again, to be successful in relationships, but also to be successful in the academic environment. Hello everyone, this October is Mental Health Screening Month. On today's episode, we'll be focusing on the intersection between mental health and education. We're speaking with Dr. Melissa Reeves about social-emotional learning. You've probably heard the term, but what is SEL really, and how can these practices help our students? Plus, the pandemic's impact on our kids' mental health, and do masks stunt social and emotional development? Let's dive in. Well, hello and welcome, Dr. Melissa Reeves. It is so nice to see your face. Thank you for having me. It's fantastic to have you. So for those of you listening in today to our conversation, Dr. Melissa Reeves is one of our longstanding advisors at Safe and Sound. She speaks and trains um, with us and, you know, she's immediate not immediate, your past president of the National Association of School Psychologists. So, um, you know, very involved with NASP, but also, um, you know, many hats that you've worn as an educator in your time. Can you just rattle off a couple of those for us? Yeah, well, actually, I started off um, with training as a special education teacher with an emphasis in working with students with emotional and behavioral challenges. So, um, so my initial training actually in the field of education was from the teaching perspective. And then I went on and got my master's degree in counseling psychology. So I am a licensed clinical mental health counselor or some states call it a licensed professional counselor. So then I went into the mental health realm and then I actually found school psychology, which not many people know a whole lot about it, but I did my uh, my PhD in school psychology, which was this incredible blend of the education and also of the psychology realm. So yeah, so you know, the teaching background and then the counselor background and then the school psychology. And then I also was a district coordinator of social, emotional and behavioral services Then I I went into academia for a little bit, where I was actually a professor in a psychology program and also in the graduate school psychology program. So lots of different hats, um, but just such fun work. I mean, all of those different roles I've been in, they've all just been really fun. Great people to work with. I would say to really have shaped you, you are one of the most well-rounded school-based mental health 
professionals, experts that we have in our cadre. So um, it's, you know, it's wonderful to be able to talk shop with you about, you know, what life is really like in a classroom. It's great that you have that perspective, um, but the depth and breadth of your knowledge in terms of, you know, child psychology, school psychology. And I love how you describe a school psychologist because I think, you know, some people think one, a psychologist is a, is a psychologist, right? But a school psychologist really is a kind of hybrid, right? They're they're a counselor, they're an educator, um, in some ways a social worker, and, and certainly a great resource for families, for students, and for teachers. Yes. And that's one of the things that I think, you know, not a lot of people know what the field of school psychology is all about. And because a lot of times and in a lot of places, we are still relegated to primarily doing testing for special education eligibility. And we are trained to do so much more than that. But unfortunately, we're not always allowed to use what I call that expanded skill set that includes everything that you just mentioned. So we're really, you know, in our field, really trying to advocate and raise awareness that we do have that expertise in child and adolescent development in education, in psychology, and how we can bring that skill set together. And yeah, we, you know, we're really good at providing interventions and supports to students that have already been identified as having some needs. But really what our training is really focusing on is the prevention efforts. Like what can we do in advance to really build skills? So in hopes that students don't need um, as many specialized or individualized supports. Um, but unfortunately, we just don't get to use that skill set as often, but it is getting better. Um, it is getting better it that is. more districts are using us proactively and in a prevention kind of way. It is. And and I hope that trend continues. I know we've been pounding the pavement and, you know, repeating that message, uh, shouting it to the rooftops that your school psychologists are really an extraordinary school safety resource in, in the community as well. So we just got to keep at it, right? That's right. <laughs> well, let's dig into today's topic, really topics, um, mental health, school mental health, but also SEL is a big one that I want to talk about today. Um, you know SEL very well, obviously. You even talked about it as, you know, an area of expertise for yourself. And and SEL is something we talk a lot about in the field. Um, it's, we view, an essential as, as part of any comprehensive school safety program. But a lot of people are like, what is this SEL? And it's it's so interesting, you know, to hear the the past year and a half with the, the kids at home doing their classes online. I, I overheard a lot of really interesting conversations. And one of them was about SEL. We had we hosted the pod one day in in our kitchen. So um my then high school freshman had her little her little you know, bubble over here to to do classes and and sit at the big kitchen table and and socially distance, but still be together. And and I overheard them them talking about SEL, and I thought, oh, that's fantastic! Like it's part of their vocabulary now. Like they they know what it is. But then I heard them say a couple things that made me go, wait, wait, what? They said, what what? time do you have SEL today? I, I have SEL at two. When's, when's your SEL? They were talking about it as though it was a period in the day, like PE or science or 
social studies or, or whatever. And I was like, oh, kidoki. Um, you know, SEL, I know and you know, can be a real difference maker in school communities. It can be done really, really well and it can be done not so well. So let's start at the beginning. What the heck is it and um, what should it look like in a school community? Um, well, what it stands for is social-emotional learning. Now, we always refer to it as SEL because education just loves acronyms, right? We have like an acronym for everything. But what it means is it's social-emotional learning. And ideally, it is something that we are infusing throughout the school day, that it's not seen as we only do this one period a day, but it's something that we start infusing throughout. Now, when we talk about what does SEL mean, I like to see it as it is the life skills that we all need to not only be successful in life, however you want to define that, but it's being able to be a productive citizen. It is being able to have really healthy relationships. It is being able to have good communication skills. It's being able to have good self-regulation skills, good self-awareness skills. And it essentially, it's those things that we need to not only be a healthy individual, but to have healthy relationships and to be successful in whatever environments that we're in. Now, if you look at kind of the five core areas of SEL, according to CASEL, and that those are kind of the five areas that we tend to, to look at, is it wait, includes, wait, wait, back up. Who's oh, Castle? Who's oh, Castle? The, okay, I knew you were going to put me on the spot for that. <laughs> the collaborative, collaborative for social emotional learning. Can I do what kids do these days? Can right. I Google it? Of course you can. I can like, I you know, you Google it, it on my computer. Right. It's I always forget the A because again, we have so many dang acronyms in education. Um, that and, and I want to make sure that yeah. I get it right. See, even those of us with, that do this work every once in a while have a, a moment to where the brain just forgets information. Um, let's see the and actually, if people want to go to www.casel.org. It is a fabulous website that has tons and tons of information. So www.casel or www.casel.org. It is the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. There we go. We got Perfect. it. Collaborative Perfect. for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. So now you know and that so I've just really, made a fool out of myself. Um, no, but, you yeah, have not. Awesome. What you did was actually model SEL skills. You were real, you know, you were... You were modeling, um, hey, I'm not perfect, and um, and so I'm going to go look it up, right? But it is funny. We toss these acronyms around so readily that we often forget what they stand for and, and, and what they mean. But the, And that may be a marketing miss on our part as educators, right? We, we put these fancy labels, these, um, you know, these long acronyms together and and I think sometimes we end up really shooting ourselves in the foot you know I think there's a lot of confusion among stakeholders about what what is this new thing what is this you know what is this new acronym is what what new thing do we have to learn now yeah and I don't think we do a good job of explaining it so you know when we talk about what is social emotional learning and if we go kind of according to the five areas that castle defines what we're doing, it's where we are teaching skills um, in the area of self-awareness, 
self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. But again, we have a tendency to kind of throw the term around. And then as parents, it's like, what are you teaching my kids? You know, is this another curriculum where you're going to try to indoctrinate my child with certain types of thinking? No, these are the life skills that are needed, again, to be successful in relationships, but also to be successful in the academic environment. Um, Now, as your daughter experienced, you know, there are lessons that you can do. I mean, there's entire SEL curriculums that school districts or schools can choose to adopt or choose to use or follow to where, yeah, I think sometimes in scheduling, it's easier to go, okay, we're going to really focus on these SEL lessons at this point in time throughout the day. Not that that's always a bad thing, because that's what I refer to as kind of that direct instruction. It is, yeah. Just like we do with reading. You know, we're just not going to show them books all day long and talk about books. At some point, we need to have the direct instruction on exactly how do you read? How do you learn to read? How do you learn how to comprehend what you're reading? So it's not bad to have dedicated time to do the direct instruction around these specific skills, but then you've got to be able to integrate this into the curriculum and into the school environment throughout the day. And ideally, the parents are also integrating a lot of these things at home. So you have, you know, you have the reinforcement of those skill sets and that the parents are hopefully modeling some of these behaviors at home and the other adults that are important in their lives. And that may be one of the key challenges right now. I think, you know, adults are under a ton of stress right now with the pandemic raging on and all of the pressures on families and economics and, and, you know, just, just day-to-day practical, you know, as if family life wasn't already challenging enough. But I think, I think that that is um, an area where we would benefit as school communities so greatly to just, you know, back up a bit. I love talking about the five core areas of SEL because that's what it's really about. It's not, you can call it whatever you want, but it's, it's life skills. And these are the basic values and um, skill sets that we know our kids need to have to not just be successful communicators and, and community members, but to be successful academically. You know, learning is a social process. And so with that core, you know, set of skills and, uh, and, and, and all of those tools in the toolbox, so to speak, and, and that great foundation, that's where we really are seeing, um, seeing success among our students. And that's why this thing called SEL, right? Yeah. And given the fact that, you know, we are, gosh, what, almost a year and a half into this pandemic, because people have had to shelter in place or quarantine or have had to do virtual instruction, our, our youth have not been able to naturally develop a lot of these skills that you learn by interacting with people, by being with larger groups of, of individuals, by having to learn how to collaborate and cooperate and how to do problem solving and conflict resolution. They've missed a lot of opportunities not only to learn, but also practice these skills. And so that's also why, you know, we have many schools today saying we need to do more direct instruction around this because it is the foundation for academic achievement and healthy relationships. 
And given the fact that that natural development has been pretty much impacted and interfered with for almost a year and a half now for many of our students, yeah, we need to put some special attention to this. Um, and what we also see is that when we spend the time doing this, we see less behavioral challenges, not only in the classroom, but parents can see that at home. And when we're spending less time managing behaviors, we can spend more time teaching and learning and growing. And so that's also one of the reasons why schools are really paying attention to this area is because teachers wanna be able to teach and we want to see kids succeed. Well said, well said. You know, um, talking about how there are often, you know, misconceptions about what this acronym is, or in this case, what SEL is, and a little bit of, you know, pushback that we hear sometimes um, from our communities, from parents and, and other stakeholders who may not be familiar with SEL is, you know, this is this just more fluffy stuff? Is this going to be more of that politically correct stuff that, you know, like you said, kind of that indoctrination? And it's interesting, there's a, there's a, an, an educator, um, his name is Carl Brick. Let me just double check here um, because I'm doing the same thing that you are. And... He talks about Tony Brick. It's Tony Brick. Um, I was like, Carl's not right. It's Tony. Yeah, I want to get that right. But anyway, he talks about this in terms of, of Christmas tree schools. And I thought that this was so funny, but so accurate. He's, you know, that schools can, and you know this from having lived in school world, can really just sort of decorate themselves with all the latest and greatest kind of bells and whistles and bows, you know, um, the new and trendy curriculum and rhetoric. And I think that is where we see so much of this pushback from, from community members who may not understand what we're talking about when we're really just talking about these basic life skills, these foundational social and emotional learning skills. Yeah. Um... It's kind of an interesting analogy um, that he uses, you know, and, and yes, I could see that in some respects, but I also think that things are just different in, in the generation that we're in right now in the past couple generations, you know, for example, and I'm going to go back to the olden days here because yes, I will date myself. <laughs> I am now 50 years old, you know, back when I was in kindergarten, okay, back in the day, right, as we right. like to say, it was a half day of kindergarten and we brought our little rugs and not only oh, did yeah. we have snack, but we also had recess and we also had rest time in a half day of kindergarten, right? We were focused more on those relationship developmental skills, learning how to play and interact, learning how to do some conflict resolution. If you know someone stole the truck and you wanted it back, you know, we had the ability to really just take the time to develop those relationship skills and to develop what we're now calling those social emotional skills. Nowadays, it is this dive in, you, you know, kids need to be reading by the end of kindergarten. We're now doing full day kindergarten and everything is so much more accelerated. And it's the pressures of society coming from a lot of different ways. Um, you know, and believe me, a lot of parents don't want their kids to be the one behind. So I'm going to push my kid into learning skills that a lot of us as psychologists are like, are, is the kid's brain even ready for that yet? You know, and then to date myself more, 
we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have social media. You played with each other outside. You know, you were playing board games. You were outdoors all the time doing things. You were involved in group activities that required you to develop self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. And if you made a choice that was not always a good one, there was that personal accountability. You know, you took responsibility, okay? And, you know, and you worked through that and hopefully you had someone that was help guiding you into how do we make sure this doesn't happen next time. With technology these days, you don't have as many opportunities to naturally develop a lot of those social, emotional, and those relationship skills. Because we have students that are now spending more time on their personal devices. You know, they're on the internet. They're now able to stay home to see their friends through a screen where, oh my gosh, I remember, you know, like, hey, can I have the car? Um, you know, fighting over the phone line because you had one phone line that was on the wall that everybody had to share because you wanted to communicate. Now we don't have to get together and interface like some of us did growing up. So again, these skills are not naturally developing like in a way that we had those natural opportunities when you know our generation was younger. Also, I hate to say it now, and I'm gonna go out on a limb here because some people may not agree with me, but we don't have the personal accountability that we've had. It's if someone does something wrong, it's everybody else's fault, okay? So I'm gonna blame someone else, I'm gonna blame the school system, I'm gonna blame the politicians, I'm gonna blame whatever. And so kids are also not growing up these days, and not all of them, but there's many with that personal accountability of being able to say, you know what? I'm sorry I hurt your feelings um, and I didn't mean to. And being able to sit down and work out that conflict with the peer. Instead, I'm gonna get on the phone and I'm gonna text message or I'm gonna you know, cyber bully you because I don't like you um, or you did something to me. So it's just, it's different, you know? And again, there's a lot of, you know, um, other skill sets that have come from kind of the generations that we're in right now. But again, the social emotional skills piece, the opportunities to develop a lot of those skills are just not naturally there um, as they were, you know, when we had to interact with people more than what we're doing now um, and especially more face to face. So, yeah, so I think that's a huge piece why we're saying in schools we have to do some direct instruction around this because these skills are not developing naturally for many of our youth. So many interesting points there because, you know, I watched as as an elementary school teacher in my, you know, 10 years of, of teaching in the classroom. St I started out early ed, so I was with the real little ones and, you know, landed in second and third grade as kind of my sweet spot. But over the 10 years of my career, I watched the, the third grade curriculum become the second grade curriculum, become the first grade curriculum, become the kindergarten, and then the pre-K. And, and it's alarming, right, that we are, like you said, we're putting a lot more on our kids academically. And brain development, developmental readiness is, is a factor that I think, you know, has, has been kind of pushed aside. So there's that piece. 
As you said, you know, the availability of electronics and, and how they are just, they're just part of our lives now. They are here to stay. You and I are connecting here from two time zones. Um, so there's good and bad, right? You know, at least right. we have this to connect, but it's a factor and it, it really is. I'll tell you, it's different. You and I have spent a lot of time on the road doing trainings and, and out at different conferences and in other school communities. It's not the same. It's not the same, you know, interacting via the computer screen versus our time together. It's a very different kind of interaction. And then, of course, you know, putting the pandemic on top of it all, we, I think, are seeing, you know, just an unprecedented impact on the social emotional development of our kids right now. And you're right. As a teacher, you can't dive into that curriculum if kids aren't if they're not fully there, if they're not ready, and our kids are not coming to school with the same social skill set that we have for all of these reasons and, and so many more. So so I think that really bears, um, you know, a sharing with parents, with community members. Like, this is why we are kind of backing the bus up and talking about these things that, yes, you learned in kindergarten, but somehow, because of the way life works and because of what's going on in the world right now, those things aren't happening for kids. And they're not going to be able to access the curriculum unless we create those opportunities and help them build those skills. It's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, and having two children of my own that are now, um, you know, 19 and 22, I got to tell you, you know, when you talk about those academic pressures, I'm sitting here when they were in high school and God forbid, even in college. And I'm like, okay, I have a PhD and I don't think I could pass this math class that they're taking as a junior in high school. Like if I, yeah. So, you know, you look at, again, it just seems like we just constantly accelerate and we need to give ourselves permission to pause on some of the academics for a little bit. Okay. And let's focus on some of these skills that we know that they're going to need for life. Um, and when you do that, then the academics are going to come. Um, and so, yeah, it, you know, and there's also ways that we can do both simultaneously. So like, for example, you know, when we talk about kind of the self-awareness piece, we can do the direct instruction on what is that self-awareness, okay? And that is being able to be in tune with emotionally where we are, you know, kind of physically where we are. Um, you know, I use the analogy of that when I start to become angry, I notice physiolog physiological changes in my body. And I need to be aware of that because if I can learn to identify that I'm starting to get angry and frustrated, if I can learn to identify that, then I can put strategies in place to keep myself calm. Then I don't end up lashing out at someone that's going to get me sent down to the principal's office. So we can do direct instruction around how do we recognize, how do we have that self-awareness, and then how do we use the strategies? But then at the same time, you can link this to the curriculum, okay? So for example, as kids are reading books, so we'll integrate this into literature, you know, that the teacher can integrate, you know, reflective questions such as, how do you think that character felt, okay? What do you think led into the character 
doing those kinds of actions that then got themselves in trouble, got them hurt, you know. Um, so there's ways that we can do the direct instruction, but then we also can pair it up with the academic piece. And that's what I mean by the reinforcing it throughout the school day and all the different things that we do. You know, for example, in kids that love science, if you think about how our ecosystems function, it's all we're all connected. And what one person does or what one company decides to do versus, you know, just look at like the school climate and or the um, climate initiatives. It's all about relationships that, you know, what one person or group of persons does can impact an entire climate, an entire habitat that can have impact for decades and generations to come. So as we're teaching human relationship skills, we can link that to the science curriculum and talk about how all of our different ecosystems are also tied together. And that's all about relationships. So it doesn't have to be an either or, um, but I think, you know, we need more guidance around, you know, how do we integrate this into academics in a natural way that is reinforcing some of the social emotional skills. And teachers have so much on their plates these days. It's like, so you want me to learn this new reading curriculum on top of learning how to do all this? <laughs> so we also have to do it in a way that we can make it easier for educators, that it's not one more thing to do. Just by virtue of how you teach a lesson, you can easily incorporate some of these skills. 100%. So I just, I think as we develop curriculum, and you know that's my favorite thing, um, as we develop our curriculum, really embedding questions, you know, um, questioning strategies and 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 different um, interrelationship, you know, all of those, all of those different um activities where, where kids are doing some of that shared problem solving, where they are interacting and they are utilizing these skills. Um, I really think that's where, where it's at. And I, I, I hope that that's where we begin to see social emotional learning start to shine. Um, and, and, and maybe, maybe it shines by just, uh, becoming, you know, fading into the curriculum and, and the everyday school day and family life, um, really helping to, to develop and, and foster those skills. So I think I think you're on to something there. Um, so we're going to play a little game to round out this conversation. It's called Myths and Misconceptions. And I'm going to give you uh, five that I've heard, and you've touched on some of them already, um, but I'm going to give you five and you get to respond and, and answer to them. So these are some things that we've heard from around the country from various school communities. So first, it's expensive. Uh, no, <laughs> actually, there are tons of free resources out there. The Castle website has some. There's also some, you know, um, some other really good curriculums that are out there that are free or very, very low cost. Um, again, as I like to say that when you learn kind of what are the critical pillars of social emotional learning, you also can integrate this in very natural ways. And if teachers just share ideas with each other, I as a school psychologist was, you know, sharing ideas with teachers as to how they could naturally integrate this in with the curriculum. It doesn't cost anything to have conversations and do idea sharing. So yeah, so to be aware of the fact that there's lots of free resources that are out there. 
Um, or even if you choose to invest in a curriculum, I don't know of any of them that are super expensive. There's ways, again, that you can share those ideas and thoughts and really broaden it to where, you know, you're not having to buy an, uh, an expensive curriculum for every single classroom or every single grade level. And, you know, there are some that are quite expensive, I will say, but, are but there are many, many that are that are not. They are free. There are free resources out there. Uh, you know Scarlett Lewis, who's a really dear friend of ours. Her whole uh, social, all the resources that her foundation, the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Movement, has created, they're all free as well as Castle has tons. Yes, so, and what I love about, you know, the Choose Love is they have school curriculum, they have curriculum for parents at home, then they also have some curriculum for coaches and those that are involved in really fostering student leadership. So I love that that's really kind of hitting on all the different facets of an individual's life. Yeah, and I haven't seen the expensive ones because I don't look for those. <laughs> right? I, mean, I am all about <laughs> low cost or free. Um, so yeah, if they're expensive, I'm like, I'm not even going to take a look at that. Yeah. Exactly. So. Cheers to that. Well, you touched on another one, and that is that um, it really requires specialty, specialty training, and it it's really meant to be taught by, say, counselors or school-based mental health professionals only. No. Um, now, I will say, as a school psychologist, I loved, loved, loved doing these kinds of lessons with kids because it got me into the classrooms and it really got me interacting with students in a very different way. Um, it also gave me a really good pulse on school climate because I was also the head of our school safety team. So I used it as an excuse that I wanted to do this because it was such a really fun part of my job. Um, also, through this, I was able to identify, mm, I'm wondering if that family could use some additional supports. So proactively, we could really build that, you know, that homeschool collaboration. But it very much can be done by teachers. Um, and again, you know, in my role, I was really guiding teachers on how to integrate this into a very natural way. So I look at it as anybody can teach it. Parents can even teach this at home. PE teachers. Absolutely. Cafeteria staff, um, paraeducators, school nurses, SROs. Like if this is really being done well, then somebody like you... Uh, is modeling this, is kind of training our staff in it, and and then it begins to filter through the entire school community and into families. That's what we want to see, right? And even if they're not directly teaching it, just to be aware of it allows them then to be able to, you know, really have interactions with students. And say, for example, they come across a, a couple students that are having a conflict in the hallway they can engage this skill set even as they're helping those students to work out the conflict if they're aware of what it is. So, um, you know, and I, I love when you mentioned SROs, they love doing these kinds of things. You know, being in the classroom in a way that's very proactive, you know, um, the students are seeing them, in, you know, in, in a different way. And they're the ones that often are you know seeing where there might be some things bubbling up as they're walking around the school interacting with students and they then can take the skills that we're doing in the classroom and reinforce that in the hallway 
on the playground when they see kids, you know, after school, kind of loitering around, you know. So yeah, it really is what I call all hands on deck and anybody is able to do it. From home, from the community, from the school environment, anyone is able to do it. Love it. It's coddling our kids. Uh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> here's again the other analogy I use. We don't put a book in front of a kid or we don't put numbers in front of kids and expect them to automatically figure out how to read, write, or do math. Um, it's the same way in the social emotional area. Some kids will pick it up more easily. Other kids are gonna need more direct instruction and supports to learn the skills. So yeah, so when I, when I hear this coddling, I'm like, no, it's not. We're helping to teach life skills. And some kids, again, are gonna pick it up more indirectly, just like those natural readers that you know, just by sitting in the classroom, they get it. And then you're going to have others that could benefit from more of the direct instruction and more of the direct modeling of those skills. So yeah, it is not coddling. We're building healthy individuals. And, you know, I, I would go so far as to say that it is the opposite because in, uh, as an elementary school teacher and, you know, really all the way up through middle school, teachers talk about how they are constantly experiencing students coming up to them and, and saying, you know, I have this problem, you know, basically fix it for me, you know, so-and-so is doing this and it's really irritating me or, you know, this, this person's being mean, you know, fix it, you take care of it. And, and I think the temptation sometimes as adults is to, yeah, to fix it, you know, correct the kid who's, who's mouthing off or bullying or, 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 you know, engaging in negative behaviors. But what we really want to do is empower that student who keeps coming up to us with the skills to identify and communicate and, and at least attempt, you know, to solve those problems before seeking, you know, immediate help, barring, of course, if it really is something very serious or urgent or an emergency. But in most cases, when kids have those social skills, they are able to handle a lot of these on their own and they don't need that level of actual coddling. Yeah, and when we're doing that, that is how we're building a strong sense of self-identity, okay? a strong sense of empowerment and self-esteem. They're confident in who they are. When we're guiding them through this rather than fixing it for them, we're building all of those skills that quite honestly, will help prevent them from being lured into negative behaviors that then we know can lead to more negative outcomes. So by building SEL, we're building more confident individuals. And when they're faced with adversity, they have the skills to work through it, which empowers them that I can do this. I don't, you know, I don't have to run to someone else to fix it for me and rely on them. I can do this. But it also helps prevent them from you know, getting involved in things that we know are not going to be safe or are not going to lead to good outcomes for themselves. So yeah, so that empowerment piece is really, really powerful. Um, you know, and, and I see this, you know, especially, you know, because I worked in schools and then I went into, you know, um, higher education. The students that show up on a college campus or those that show up on a job, because my dad actually employed a lot of high school and college kids, so I got to see that from a business perspective, you could see those that could function independently and 
had the skill set to, if something's not going well on the job or something's not going well, how to figure it out versus those that literally became frozen. And then, well, I have to run to mommy or I have to run to someone else to fix it. And they literally didn't know how to function without someone doing it for them. And so you see those big differences of those kids that as they get older, come with the SCL skill set, as I like to say, they are going to be much more productive and successful in school and on the job and in life when they have those SEL skills versus always looking to someone else to do it for them or not having the confidence to feel that they can work through that situation on their own or the resources to know, okay, it, like me, okay, I couldn't remember what Castle stood for, but I know how to find it. You know, yes. that's the kind of empowerment that we really want to have. Immediate problem solving, right? You know, I don't yeah. I don't actually know it right now, but I know I know how to find out. I know how to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So how about this one? Um, it's new and unproven. Ah, well, <laughs> um, you know, here's the way I look at a lot of that stuff. You know, people are going to we can look at the same data set and some people are going to interpret it in very different ways. Um, And a lot of that has to do with individuals' own biases coming into when, you know, they're reading the research and so forth. If they already don't like SEL, then a lot of times they're going to say, I don't believe this research, you know. Um, There is, and actually this is where the CASEL website really comes into play. They have done some very good, solid research. They've done some meta-analyses, which means, you know, they're looking at a multitude of different research studies that shows positive outcomes and lesser behavior problems, referrals to the office, um, et cetera. So what I say is no, it is proven. Um, You know, there is a lot of good solid research behind it. And just from a common sense perspective, um, in all my years of experience, who are the individuals, both youth and even adults I know that are my age, who are the ones that have happier lives, are better well-adjusted, those that can handle stress and adversity, it's those that have developed the SEL skills. So also from, I say, just a common sense perspective, if you have these skills, you're able to, you know, to manage life so much easier and happier. Last one for you. Uh, it is only for elementary school students. No, oh gosh, students. no. <laughs> um, we need to start developing it as early as possible. I would say we start developing these skills actually when the baby comes out of the womb. Um, you know, we can start developing this. If anything, um, we need them more than ever in middle school and high school. I mean, for all the reasons you just said, when you look at the stress that some of these in, that these kids are under, when you look at all the competing demands they have, when you look at the pressures to be perfect and successful because online everybody else looks like they have this wonderful life. No, we need, I mean, we need these skills at all ages, but they really need to continue, especially to be reinforced in middle school and high school. And unfortunately, that's where we see some of the, the emphasis on some of these skills decrease because the academic demands get so great. Um, And so that really, that pre-adolescence through adolescence, young adult, that's the time we need to be reinforcing these skills the most. I would say so too. You know, um, both of my girls are now in college and I feel like a lot of the conversations we're having now are precisely about that. You know, just there's a ton of pressure on them. 
and, you know, really just helping them to step back and think about why are you there? You know, what is the purpose? What are your goals? And really talking about, you know, life balance is kind of what I hear you explaining. That's part of it. Just making sure that we are, um, that we are creating that, that balance in our lives and, and navigating our lives in a way that we can be healthy and happy and fulfilled and successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to give ourselves permission and to give our kids permission, we don't have to be perfect. Nobody is. Um, and there's going to be times where, yeah, you might make a bad choice or a bad decision, but you're not a bad person. And that's where we need to make the distinction because I think now there's so much pressure for kids to be perfect that they feel like the minute they make one little mistake, their world's going to crumble or I'm not going to accomplish what I want to accomplish. And for us being able to say, you know what, actually we grow the most when sometimes we, we learn from our mistakes or when we have to work through an adverse situation. You know, I learn more from those than I learn from life being perfect. Per se. Um, but, but we need to give them permission to do that, um, you know, because I think, you know, there there are those helicopter parents out there um, or when my son did his college orientation, they talked about the Blackhawk helicopter parents <laughs> that are so fearful, you know, that their child is not going to reach whatever goals they think that they need to reach, that they put unintended pressure on their kids to be perfect and we need to give them the latitude um, and, and the guidance. So, okay, this didn't go as well as expected, okay? Right, so you made not so great of a choice with that. Let's talk through this. What can we do differently next time? What can you do differently next time? What can you reach out to for resources? And give them permission to learn and grow. And you learn and grow more when you're willing to take a risk, knowing that it's not always gonna work out, than when you're holding back and you're too afraid to try something new because you're so afraid of failure. So I think that's also, you know, and that's also the academic environment is if kids don't do well on a project, as teachers, we guide them, okay? But yeah, we need to give people permission to try something new. It might not always go great, but put yourself out there a little bit, okay? And that's how you're gonna grow more is when you're willing to try new things. Um, and I don't think a lot of kids feel that they can be safe to do that. Now, I don't mean putting themselves in physically unsafe situations. Right. I'm like trying a new skill, okay? Put trying out for a team or for something that you, you know, um, you know, hadn't necessarily wanted to do or you're too scared to do. That's what I mean by taking risk is, you know, trying new things that can help you grow. Definitely. Definitely. Well, this has been such a good conversation and really just a reminder, I think even for some of us adults, um, there are a lot of young people that are looking to us. And, uh, you know, as we talk about things like social emotional learning and social skills, uh, we are the models. And that's one really great way to be teaching these important skills. It doesn't always need to come from a curriculum. It can really come from the way that we interact with the the youth that we are, you know, in charge of as teachers, as parents, and and out and about in the community. I wanted to feature this. We were talking about the myth of SEL being expensive. This is a, one of many free resources out there. This one was developed by uh, the Missouri Center for Education Safety, 
And it's it's the guide for life is what they call it. That's that that's how they've branded SEL, right? You could call it what you want to call it, but it really does take folks through those five core pillars and simple ways to model those and create opportunities for growth in those areas. And that's really all that it is, right? It's just not rocket science. No, and, <laughs> and I think you bring up an important point of we as adults are huge models for kids and they are watching us and they're learning from us good and bad. And goodness knows we don't have a lot of positive adult behavior going on out there right now. So to put ourselves in check, you know, and, and yeah, and how can we model for our own kids or those that, you know, we're teaching, okay, so I had a bad day um, or, oh, that didn't go well um, and model for them how to work through that. That's really where that empowerment piece comes. Plus they realize adults aren't perfect either and that's okay. Yep. We're still figuring it out ourselves. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Reeves. It is always fun to sit down with you and unpack some of the things going on in and around our school communities. I know that we will have many more conversations this year but I would encourage folks to uh, check out the CASEL website as uh, Dr. Reeves was sharing with us. There's a ton of great resources there, as well as you know many that are you know widely available from, um, from various departments of education. Um, the CES is, um, is actually, I, miss, I said it was from the Missouri Center for Education Studies. I misspoke. It's the Arkansas Department of Education that put this one out. Um, but I do happen to know that there are some great resources at the Missouri Missouri Center for Education Safety as well. So tons of great resources out there, lots to dig into, all at the end of the day about keeping our kids safe and sound. When it comes to school safety, our friends at Entrato School Messenger have school communities covered. They deliver advanced school safety solutions that lead to safer environments for our children. With over 40 years in public safety and more than 20 years in schools, Entrato School Messenger is uniquely positioned to serve your school safety needs. Entrato Safety Suite combines the most advanced emergency management, response, on-campus notification, and parent communication tools together to create a 360-degree wall of protection against all kinds of school safety threats. To learn more, visit entrado.com slash safety suite for education, or check our show notes for the link. Now it's time for a segment we call The Sound Off, where we weigh in on some trending school safety stories. And today, our focus is mental health. First up, schools across the country have reopened. It's the busiest time of year for child psychologists and psychiatrists who say the transition from September to October is when schools typically identify students who are struggling. And despite some students' excitement to head back to school this fall, the pandemic has increased the number of children and teens who are struggling with mental health challenges. As of this recording, the number of kids coming to hospitals for mental health needs is 15% higher than the same time two years ago. The causes for anxiety differ among age groups. Younger students tend to experience feelings of separation from families, fears of getting sick, or their family members getting sick, while teenagers are struggling with social anxiety and stress involving academics. Yeah, so lots to unpack here. You know, as the COVID numbers were decreasing for a little while there, there was an awful lot of hope and 
joy in and among our school communities, especially with our students, thinking, you know, I can join sports again. Uh, We'll be back in the building together again. Uh, Life's going to return to normal. Gosh, we could even hug each other again. Be really exciting to see those elbow bumps go away. But here we are again. You know, Delta has uh, in many ways kind of set us back and and back into some of those regulations, some of those um, restrictions, and certainly social distancing and masking all over again. So for our kids, what that means is a lot of disappointment. And unfortunately, with that comes a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of how long is this going to be? How much longer will we have to do this? And will life ever return to normal? And the fact is, we just don't have those answers right now. But we do know a few things based on our experience so far with the pandemic. We know that we have each other. We know that we've learned to be very flexible. And we know that we've learned to be very creative. So reminding our students, reminding our school communities that we have all those all those skills and more perhaps might be the best way for us to face another challenging school year and find some joy, find some creativity, find a way to keep everybody's spirits, spirits up through the next school year. Yeah, well, something that seemed initially like a great no-cost, low-cost, simple intervention uh, for this pandemic has certainly come with a lot of challenges. Uh, for one, communication. I know for myself, it's it's very difficult to understand sometimes what people are saying to me behind the mask and not being able to read their lips um, and their facial expressions can make it especially challenging. And I know as a, a former elementary school teacher and preschool teacher, it's really important to our little ones. They do rely on facial expressions quite significantly as they are learning and communicating and, and reading you know, other people's communication. So definitely a major challenge in, in the educational setting for, for many, many reasons. We should note that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention haven't recommended that children younger than two years old wear masks. So at least for those under two um, who are very much relying on facial expressions from the trusted adults in their lives. For now, it seems that masks are not something that we need to worry about. We recently sat down with Dr. Shafson from Cincinnati Children's. He's the director of infection prevention and control there. And, you know, he said they aren't the be-all, end-all solution, masks. But if we don't have them in place, you know, we're going to have to put something else in place. He talked a little bit about kind of taking a layered approach to us, to slowing the spread or or preventing the spread of COVID and really talked about masks as just being one of many things that we should be doing to try to layer that protection. He also pointed out that kids are not really expected to wear masks for the entirety of the school day. And I know that this is true um, based on the conversations we're having with school leaders and classroom teachers uh, across the country. Most of our schools are implementing kind of designated areas to take a mask break or um, really just allowing students students to kind of step over closer to the window, get some fresh air, take that mask off. Um, and, and of course, time outside is is really just the gold standard for taking that mask off. So lots to consider there as, as we um, make our way through another school year with this pandemic. Uh, lots to learn, certainly, lots to consider. And um, of course, most importantly, uh, take a look at how these interventions that we're putting in place are affecting our children this year. Before we go, let's end with a look on the bright side. 
The Super Kid Power Recycling Bag Project is described as a three-dimensional social-emotional learning activity. This fall, the project distributed reusable canvas bags containing fabric crayons with a simple prompt for students in Oregon's Ashland School District to design their bag with something they value about the environment. The goal is to help kids to realize their role in helping the earth, but also empower young people to build their confidence, self-worth, and practice healthy self-management. Janai Mestrovich, the creator of the initiative, said, we have to involve the children in the solutions that we are seeking and practicing, but the catch is to do it in a fun way. When children have fun learning and applying, they integrate it much easier because it's not something they're memorizing from somebody else. They have ownership. For more mental health tips and resources about social-emotional learning, follow us on social media at Safe and Sound Schools or safeandsoundschools.org. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Intrato School Messenger, for supporting this podcast. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, stay safe and sound, everybody.